Did Abba just reform for the money, money, money? Will the Mixmasters ever reunite with Jive Barney? Update on the flavour of the Pringles that I was about to crack into last time we recorded in Taiwan. What? Not mineral water? Well, on the cover of the Pringles... Cover? (laughs) On the cover art. It was Mr Pringle uh, relaxing in an Ibiza speedboat. Mr Pringle's unplugged album. Yeah. On the Pringles, there was a picture of what looks like a bottle of water in that it's a bottle of clear liquid Mm -hmm. with no label on it. I then discovered, upon eating, that the Pringles are actually lemonade-flavoured. Oh, well, that's no less weird. Like drinking Sprite and eating a Pringle at the same time, but somehow a little more like a full-body shudder-inducing flavour than that. Okay, that's disappointing because the idea of a mineral water flavoured anything was hilarious. Yeah. Um, But I think I've still ticked the box on exotic Pringles from around the world, so thank you. Yeah, you're really travelling vicariously (laughs) through Pringles. Is it too late? I know you're six months into your travels already, but is it too late to initiate a uh, thing whereby each country you go to, you try a different exotic flavour of Pringle and report back? (laughs) Where are you now? We are in Hawaii. Do they do like tuna poke Pringles? I'd eat that. Do you know I'd kind of eat that, yeah. But still, just because some of the experiences are positive, Martin, that doesn't make it a bad podcast feature, does it? Pringles of the world. Be the My Dad Wrote a Porno of uh, crisp reviews. You know, come late to the party, but just get a big fan base. (laughs) I mean, you make the second stage sound so easy. (laughs) They've got to queue up the Pringles for after my podcast, My Dad Made a Sculpture. (laughs) (laughs) My Dad Ate a Pringle actually would be a great show. I'd happily listen to Zach just munching his way through Pringles of the world. What is this? This is a bit shit. Give me another one. Uh, It's a bit shit, but I'd better try another one. That's what it would go like. I'm subscribing now. I'm getting the Patreon and everything. Some other feedback as well on uh, last month's episode. I must thank the dozens of you. It literally was dozens. I mean, it's probably a hundred of you. I don't think you must thank them. I think you must acknowledge them. Yeah. But your gratitude, I would say, is tepid i'll rephrase i feel obligated due to the sheer amount of correspondence (laughs) to mention the dozens of you uh who got in touch to say that in fact there is a real life thomas the tank engine that you can actually get on and ride um i didn't know i hadn't done my research i just made what i thought was an offhand comment based on the fact that i thought i would have heard of it if it was a thing ollie you haven't heard of nearly everything (laughs) well i would wouldn't you think if if the thomas the tank if there was a real train with thomas's face on it that that would be a thing that you'd have come across in your life but anyway it does exist um and uh it is actually an official tie-in product with the thomas and friends family of branded experiences okay um so uh uh, you know i stand corrected and i'm excited and i will be going to the next experience that's happening in my neck of the woods do you think though that a life-size full train with a face on it would be not cute but terrifying uh harvey's unpredictable actually about what he finds scary and what he doesn't Um, And there's psychological tricks you can use on two-year-olds that even if they think they're scary initially, you can turn it around. So, for example, he's got socks with monsters on them. Yeah. It's a very crude sort of pencil drawing of, like, some eyebrows, some eyes, and an open mouth going, ah, you know. Uh, And the first time he put them on, he said, scared, scared, and wouldn't put his own socks on that day. And then I just introduced the concept of, no, it's a friendly monster. He's saying, hello, Harvey. 
And now every time he puts socks on, he says, hello, friendly monster. Aww. So I just think, uh, yes, although on the one hand, the idea of a kind of 200 foot long juggernaut heading towards him with a terrifying molded plastic face um, might scare him. Uh, I, I think there would be ways to get him excited. And basically, Thomas is his favourite thing in the world. He, he's actually recently just started using Bust My Boilers as an expletive. What is he, like a 50-year-old cheeky plumber? <laughs> so I wouldn't expect you to know this, Helen, but that is what Thomas says when he gets into trouble. Bust my boilers! Right. Uh, and uh, Harvey, Harvey now says it if he like drops his water on the floor or something. So it's quite funny because he is using it in place of bollocks. Very promising. Yeah. Royal Wedding is coming up this month, and in commemoration, here is a question about Meghan Markle uh-huh. from Jennifer from Loxley, Alabama, who says, Meghan Markle's picture has been on almost every magazine cover for months. What caravan? Yeah, look in. Fishing monthly. New scientist. You give me a real Proust and Rush mentioning look in there. Oh, I know. I'm not familiar with it. What was in it? It was like Fast Forward, but for kids that watched ITV. Does that help you, Helen? No, <laughs> I have seen ITV. <laughs> Jennifer says, I've heard numerous stories about the upcoming nuptials, and I know of a few watching parties. This is apparently a very big deal in America. Yeah. I'm wondering if it could be more of a big deal here than it is in England. I think it can. Yes. I guess it's America's first royal wedding since the Wallace Simpson one. That's true. They've actually got a skin in the game, haven't they, this time? Yeah. Yeah, they get excited anyway about royal weddings. I hadn't even really thought of it from an American perspective, but I suppose it is. Yeah, that's it's actually the Disney princess thing, isn't it? It's someone of it's one of theirs marrying into a genuine bona fide royal family. Well, Jennifer says, I've been wondering something about this wedding. Ollie, answer me this. Does Meghan have to give up her American citizenship when she marries Harry? And if she keeps her American citizenship, will their children be citizens of both countries? According to the palace, she is going to go through the whole process of becoming a UK citizen and she's not going to have any special privileges. Yeah, right. Like they're going to chuck her out. (laughs) But anyway, she is going to do it all kosher. So that actually takes a number of years. She would have had to have applied for a family visa um, as the fiancé of a Brit. Having obtained a family visa... Uh, you have to get married within six months to then be considered as a British citizen. The timing of the wedding does coincide with that. So although I'm sure the royal family could pull the right strings, (laughs) if necessary, uh, to get her to stay in the country, they are actually getting married within the usual six months of having obtained a family visa. Just. So anyway, assuming that Meghan does qualify for British citizenship, I'd assume that she would choose... And I know that I have no basis for this, but with the royal family, you always just assume what they think. That's the great thing about them. You can just project onto them. Uh, Once she's a royal, we won't know because she won't be allowed to speak anymore. But I assume that she would choose to uh, maintain her American citizenship as well and be a dual citizen, at which point, yes, their children would be joint citizens of two countries, but they would be in line to the throne of Britain. So I, I, I imagine they, they might relinquish their American citizenship if it conflicted with them ascending to the throne, i.e. if we were in a war with America. But given that Wills and Kate keep cranking out the kids, yeah, Harry and Meghan's kids are not going to have to be on the throne. I shouldn't imagine, no. But if you had to choose your royal parents, I think Harry and Meghan... Oh, undoubtedly. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. You're not going to choose Princess Michael, are you? <laughs> oh, God, what's Princess Michael going to wear, given that the first time she met Megan, she was wearing that blackface brooch? <laughs> what's she going to wear to the wedding, like a full gollywog outfit? <laughs> One thing, listeners, that you could obtain to enhance your enjoyment of this wedding of people that we don't know is um, <laughs> listen to the Answer Me This Jubilee album, oh, an yeah. hour 
of stuff about the royals that we made in 2012 for Queen Elizabeth's Jubilee, but stays evergreen. Still just as relevant, isn't it? Because same shit, different day in the palace, isn't it? Yeah, they don't have significant iOS updates to the monarchy. (laughs) Answermethisstore.com is where you go for all your Answer Me This album needs, including that one. Well, we've got a question about true royalty on the phone line. Hi, Helen and Ollie and Martin the Sound Guy. Um, My husband and I, we noticed the Kylie Minogue range of glasses comes with a promotional cardboard cutout of Kylie in store. I can't get it out of my head, pun entirely intended. My husband's covering his mouth in distress at the moment. My terrible joke. But are the cutouts in Specsavers of her life size? Is that her actual height? It's driving me mad. Cool. Let me know. Thank you. Bye. There's a Kylie Minogue range in Specsavers. Yes. I think a lot of you will just have to let that information settle in before I deal with the answer. It's nice. I like it. If a Kylie Minogue range of glasses had to exist, I think they've done as good a job as you could possibly do with that brief. However, if you said to me, OK, name a celebrity who's famous for wearing specs. Yes. I was trying to remember if I'd ever seen Kylie wear specs that weren't sunglasses. Well, I, I mean, on her current album artwork and video, I mean, bearing in mind she has now a range of glasses in Specsavers, she isn't wearing glasses at all sun or otherwise well maybe she only has to wear them for reading and computer work when you think about it it's quite hard to think about celebrities that are always in glasses isn't it i mean who is there Prulith. Prulith is a spectacles icon yeah sue perkins good call but it's always the same style so you wouldn't want a glasses range from sue perkins you would just want the one true sue perkins pair of glasses actually oh i've got another one i've got another one brains from thunderbird what about elton john did he ever have a yeah line elton of john, glasses? That's a good one yeah no elton or john, timmy mallet <laughs> <laughs> Elton John's an interesting one because like in the 70s he was known for outrageous glasses that no one would wear because they're crazy but now I can see I guess essentially elderly gay men like Elton John would wear Elton John glasses wouldn't they so actually it's not a crazy idea you know how um Trevor McDonald does the ads for Vision Express I don't it's oh it's really po-faced and like actually almost offensive Aww. like he only gets away with it because it's Trevor McDonald but the advert's like I was there when the wall came down. Cut to clip of the Berlin Wall falling down. I was there when uh, important moments were made. Cut to Nelson Mandela giving a speech. And I saw all this through my Vision Express glasses, which you get the second pair for twenty pounds. That's it. Yep, that's the message of the ad. And it is. It does cheapen like the last, you know, seventy years of. Uh, current affairs reporting that Trevor McDonald's been part of. Kylie has no such qualms. But I just wonder whether actually now, because of this Kylie range in Specsavers, Vision Express might want to up the ante and get a Sir Trev range. But have you been into Specsavers and seen a cardboard Kylie? I have. And is it a five foot tall cardboard Kylie or 152.4 centimetres tall Kylie? It is. It is a life-size cutout of Kylie Minogue. According to the Specsavers website, it is a life-size cutout. I must say, I didn't measure it when I was there, but it does seem to be about five feet, yes. I would say a foot and a bit smaller than me, yes. Life-size in the form of cutouts or statues often seems smaller than life-size, so I'm surprised they didn't increase her by, say, 10% to appear more like life-size. But then they couldn't say it was life-size and they wanted their press release to say life-size. It's clever of them to have the cardboard cutout because it means loads of people will be doing Specsavers publicity for them by taking pictures of themselves Selfies. with Kylie. Yeah. Posting them, haha, look at me, I'm with Kylie. And also, what's great is uh, she's in a glamorous sparkly gold dress. You know, like she's presenting at the Brits or something. 
yeah, she's Kylie, right? That's what she sleeps in. I don't know. I can't put my finger on why it's funny, but there's something funny about that in a drab branch of Specsavers with a lot of Specsavers employees around her. Kylie's height is a matter of some dispute. It's usually listed as five foot one, but I found this quote from Danny Minogue, her sister, in a Smash Hits interview. Oh, a credible source. Where she is asked, tell us something surprising about Kylie. And Danny replies, she lies about her height. Kylie always says she's five foot one inch, but she is so not. She is actually five foot. Five foot actually sounds like a Stock Aiken and Waterman boy band that she might have worked with back in the day. I think Stock Aiken and Waterman didn't make the mistake of putting numbers in their band titles because they know that sometimes you have to throw out a band member or people leave. I'm thinking now whether there were any. Yeah. Big fun. Didn't say how much fun was required. Yeah. Banana Rama. Could be a duet, couldn't it? Could be a bunch of bananas, could be a single banana. <laughs> could be a diorama of bananas. If you've got a question, then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at Time for a question from Liz, who says, I'm an American living in Germany. The other day I was having lunch at work and I was eating some fresh green beans. When she says fresh green beans... Mm. I'm picturing like runner beans, string beans, French beans. A slender green bean. Mm. That's what I'm imagining. But green beans is not exact. Maybe Liz could have been a bit more specific if what we're doing is critiquing her wording. Yeah, (laughs) Bearing in mind her question is one of science and gardening. I think she should have been more specific. Bean science. (laughs) Bean science. Get ready for our bean science question of the month. Uh, She says, My colleagues asked if the beans were raw, and I said yes. I picked them from my garden this morning. They were quiet for a beat, and then one of them said, You can't eat raw green beans. They are poisonous. Goodbye, Liz, forever. Then they went on to list the symptoms, saying that ingesting just three raw green beans could give you nausea, terrible stomach pain, and bloody diarrhoea. If you do want to eat green beans, they said you have to cook them all the way through until they're no longer crunchy. No longer worth eating. It appears to be Liz's view as well, Helen. Yeah, I don't like a soft bean. No, and I, I, I don't like a bloody diarrhoea, so what are you going to do? <laughs> You've got to choose between the two. She says, I've eaten raw and al dente green beans many times before. I've never had bloody diarrhoea. Bloody diarrhoea. Bloody diarrhoea. I've never bloody had bloody diarrhoea. Bloody nonsense. I've asked many Germans about this, and they have almost all said that you can't eat raw green beans. All the North Americans that I've asked, though, have said that they are a great healthy snack. Although, I mean, in America, there are chocolate bars that are marketed that way. Uh, So, Helen, answer me this. Which is it? Are green beans different in Europe? Am I building up a dangerous level of toxins in my body and will I die, writhing in agony and cursing green beans? Or is this simply some sort of German old wives' tale And, in fact, I can keep eating raw green beans and be fine. Well, you evidently are fine from eating the green beans, Liz. 
So well, you're talking about beans a lot. Maybe it's affected you a bit. It's not really a representative sample of things that Liz is willing to talk about, Ollie. She's emailed us specifically about green beans. Let's yeah, not judge right. her and total discourse on one email. With the one hand, I'm criticising her for not enough detail. On the other hand, I'm saying she's written so much about beans, I worry for her health. I mean, she can't win. <laughs> when I googled whether green beans are toxic, because I had never heard of this, mm. Germany did come up a lot as a place that believes green beans are very poisonous and should be boiled to shit just to be safe. So is there a correlation between people that think David Hasselhoff is a singer and people who think it's dangerous to eat raw green beans? Maybe that's the thing. Like, if you eat the raw green beans, you are a bit poisoned, but you don't think David Hasselhoff is a singer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which do you want to be? Your colleagues are right, though, that green beans are poisonous. Okay. But they're wrong that eating three is likely to kill you. Well, some people are more susceptible, but given that you have proven to yourself, Liz, over years of bean studies administered to yourself, (laughs) yeah, you are evidently not especially susceptible to the ill effects of green beans. And also, fresh beans that you've just picked yourself are less toxic than beans that are older or dried. So all beans are a bit toxic. And particularly the dried ones like kidney beans, lima beans, that's why you have to soak them overnight before you can use Is them it? and cook them. Yeah, yeah. I always wonder about the soaking thing. Yeah, well, kidney beans can really fuck you up and lima beans because like some of them, they've got cyanide in. Mm. Soaking and cooking breaks that down. But beans have a protein in them. Couldn't even get like a consensus on what that protein is. People had like a lot of different ideas about what that protein is. But let's say lectin. And that protein can cause you upsets until it is cooked. And the concentration is less in a fresh new bean from Liz's garden. I wonder whether this is something that is particular to German beans, though. I mean, have you found any research that perhaps the beans in Germany are particularly toxic and that's why Germans are so cautious? No, I don't think it's particular to German beans, but I wonder whether Germany had like a health and safety PSA on television, like Britain used to have about flying kites near pylons. And... Mm. America and Britain have not had that bean PSA. Or possibly during the war, because, um, you know, I I don't know how it was in Germany, but in Britain, during the Blitz especially, there was a lot of, you know, grow your own vegetables, do your own bit, potato, peat, all of that, right? Because food's being rationed. I imagine that was the same in the German cities that we were bombing the fuck out of. So maybe there, they were like, don't eat the beans. Uh, You know, cook for yourself, but whatever you do, don't eat... Like, maybe it was government advice at some stage when food was short during the war, don't eat the beans, and that stuck around. It's plausible, isn't it? Now, everyone I know that grows vegetables always seems to have absolute fuck-tons of green beans. Yeah. And I'm always like, why don't you plant fewer beans? But the reason why the beans have this toxic protein in is to stop them being eaten by animals. So maybe it is just that green beans are a thing to grow in your garden that the animals won't eat, whereas they'll take all of your bok choy and stuff like that. I read this um, horrible um, story from this woman saying I didn't know that beans are supposed to be toxic and I made uh, falafels out of unsoaked kidney beans and they were really Mm. delicious and then my husband and I were doubled over vomiting blood. Wow. Jeez. I was reading National Geographic food magazine the other day, as one does. Fun. I was reading about hummus recipes. How many different ways are there to squash up a chickpea? Well, exactly. And you'd think, actually, for a magazine that's all about, yeah, travel the world, see everything that it has to offer, like their, their culinary piece about essentially all of the Middle East from 
<laughs> Syria to Israel to Iran to Lebanon was about hummus. But anyway, um, what it said was, try making hummus using different peas. Mm. And I thought, fuck, I've never thought about that before. You haven't. Would you entertain that idea, Helen? Well, it's not technically a hummus, is it? It's a lentil paste or a broad bean. They yeah, disagree. Absolutely. One of my favourite restaurants in London, El Parador, where I've been to with you, I believe, they serve a really delicious hummus-like dish, which is broad beans and garlic. Mm. Really uh, changed my attitude towards broad beans, which are otherwise absolutely Terrible. lacking in any merits. Sure. And now I know they're poisonous, I feel much more comfortable in slagging them off. You feel validated, yeah. Yeah. So bean paste are a common factor in so many cuisines. So yes, I would. I'm open. What you appear to be saying is, if you take chickpeas away, it's not hummus. That's the thing that makes it hummus, right? Everything else probably. is negotiable, but yeah. it has to be chickpeas, yeah. But if if National Geographic uh, food magazine have their way, Helen, and mm. the world starts using different pulses, puts baked beans in it, calls it hummus. Oh, come on. I know they're a very influential organ. They can't use their power for ill. My concern would be, where would it end? You know, then anything can be hummus. Eggs are hummus if you start doing that. Well, it's paradise for you because you love hummus. Yeah, but I, you know, what I'm saying is if we get into a world where people take a sardine and mash it up with, you know, garlic, tahini and lemon juice and call it hummus, I'm killing myself. You really fear change, don't you? I'm just, I'm Any very pure in what I believe. to hummus could open a gate to hummus anarchy until the world is just a paste. Everything is paste. <laughs> I'm trying to build a website to bring tourists to Radlit But when I open it up on my smartphone or tablet Something goes wrong and it just looks a bit shit Unlike Hertfordshire itself While try building that website using Squarespace On desktop and devices it will look simply ace As well designed as Hertfordshire with all that lovely green space County of Opportunity and Stevenage Thank you very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. Yes, thank you, Squarespace, and your award-winning design templates. Do you know they've won two awards this month, Helen? Jeez! They have won two. Not actually, they've won more than two. They've won one, two. They've won five across two different award ceremonies. They've won uh, two Webby Awards and three D&D Design Awards. Wow. Is that a Dungeons & Dragons thing? (laughs) Yeah, because if you, yeah, yeah. you like D&D, you could set up your D&D website on Squarespace. They've probably got a special template. I'd put my uh, D&D campaign on Squarespace if I had ever played D&D and had a campaign. I bet you've played D&D. I've never played D&D. This surprises me. But maybe with Squarespace I can learn. So if, if you have an idea for a website or you'd like to create a website to promote your existing business or, or whatever you're doing, go to squarespace.com slash answer and take out a free trial and play around. Yeah, you can use those award-winning templates for yourself and you think, this is what it feels like to be award-winning. You can be award-winning by proxy. This is what it feels like to be touched by... Greatness. ...critical approval. And if you want to keep the website that you've made during that two-week free trial, then sign up for Squarespace at squarespace.com slash answer and you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain if you use our code ANSWER. Hi, Helen and Ollie. It's Tim from Bath. I've been pondering about the difference between mazes and labyrinths and after doing some internet searching found that mazes are polycursal in that they have different routes through them but labyrinths are unicursal in that there is only one route in and out. So my question is this, when Theseus 
was going into the labyrinth to fight the Minotaur. Why did he need the ball of string? And I guess, more importantly, how did the Minotaur never find its way out? Well, firstly, I think that this distinction between mazes and labyrinths, that in a maze there are several different routes, some of which are incorrect, I think that is a latter-day distinction, Mm -hmm. just to justify the fact that we have these two words to essentially mean the same thing. In the labyrinth, there may have been a lot of dead ends, and in fact has been described as there, there being all, a lot of false routes, so the string would have been expedient as it would be in what we now call a maze. You know, I remember Theseus and the Minotaur vaguely. Yeah, it's a good story. But many of our listeners won't know this myth, so can yeah. you just give, give us the absolute basic version? The string was it was to help him get him out of the maze yeah. like uh, Hansel and Gretel's pebbles. Yes, exactly. The Minotaur was the son of King Minos, who I think was a real king, and there are ruins of his palace on Crete, but not a ruin of the labyrinth. King Minos's wife, Pacify, fell in love with a bull, like a mythical, glorious bull, and they had sex, and she bore a child. Didn't she hide inside like a wooden cow to pretend to be a cow? Yeah, she tricked the bull into having sex with her, and she gave birth to the Minotaur, a half-human, half-bull. Seriously, and you thought our royal family was weird? From babyhood, the Minotaur was uh, rather vicious and dangerous. Who'd have thunk? Half-bull, half-boy. <laughs> they got Daedalus, the uh, the famous mythical sculptor, to build a labyrinth to keep him in. Why not just a cage? Like, at that point, I know it's an allegory, but why not just put him in a cage? And also, I was wondering, the mythical Greeks are pretty vicious... They probably wouldn't have that many qualms about killing their own hybrid bull child, especially King Minos, because he was like, wife's cheated on me with a bull, going to kill the child. Yeah, sacrifice him, put him on the barbecue, bit of entertainment whilst we're watching Sophocles. But instead, kept him in a labyrinth. I mean, forget Theseus and the string. The Minotaur has had nothing to do, really, except find his way out of the maze. And he hasn't. So either it's too difficult or he doesn't want to. And, and let's think about it. The bull has not been given a human upbringing or education. He's been kept inside a labyrinth. He's not developed problem-solving skills. He's probably not that bright. If yeah. it's a hybrid between a cow and a person, presumably his intelligence is, is somewhere between a cow and a person. Cows are not known for their intelligence and their maze-solving skills. So anyway, you've got this bull in a maze. Due to political sh- chicanery, people have to send King Minos a sacrifice of um, seven young men and women for the bull to kill and eat. One of the dispatches includes Theseus, the son of the Greek king Aegeus, and Ariadne, who is Minos's human daughter, not half Frisian or anything. She falls in love with Theseus and she doesn't want him to die being ripped apart in a labyrinth. So she gives him string to find his way out. But maybe Ariadne knows that bulls respond to motion, so perhaps he can't see string that is stationary. And he's distracted trying to kill and eat the humans. But also, there's that thing in mazes where you sort of double up on yourself, don't you? So if a piece of string was following you around, you'd end up, I'd imagine at some stage, going back and seeing three bits of string layered on top of each other. You'd have to remember which direction it came in. Yeah, it's not a straightforward way out. I have a lot of questions about the labyrinth. For instance, is it just full of piles of bullshit? And uh, is it cleaned (laughs) regularly? Because there'd be a lot of human remains in it from the sacrifices. Yeah, it'd stink, wouldn't it? I wonder if they have, like, movable gates so they could, like, partition off the Minotaur into a certain part of the labyrinth so cleaners could come in and, like, get rid of all the dead bodies and, and bullshit. And is David Bowie in it wearing a leotard? 
then that's a maze that a lot of people would like to be in. <laughs> yeah. Here's a question from Jeff in Dallas in Texas who says, Helen, answer me this. Why do God Bless America and God Save the Queen have the same music? They don't. I think he means My Country Tis of Thee, doesn't he? I think he does. God Bless America is a different song, isn't it? Yes. My Country Tis of Thee. Here's a shocker. This tune has been used by, at various points, the Kingdom of Hawaii, Russia... France, Germany, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, Siam, Liechtenstein, Iceland, and a bunch of other countries for anthems, national, state, or royal. Hold on. So you're saying our national anthem, God Save the Queen, has at one stage been the national anthem of Russia? It's like, you know, how Portishead and Tricky had a song based around the same tune. But bigger than that. So is the reason to do with the empire then? Is it because we Brits went around the world telling people all about our amazing anthem. It's kind of to do with the empire. Basically what happened was, in 1745, when this tune and the lyrics made their debut, although it's not clear who actually composed the music, it may go back a couple of hundred years before, but in 1745, a man called Thomas Arne, who I think also did Rule Britannia, he did the the current arrangement of the music. The current dirge that we all know as the song that makes us (laughs) proud and the blood pumps through our veins as we down more alcohol to make ourselves feel happy. In September of that year, the cast of a play at the Drury Lane Theatre sang his arrangement of this with the lyrics as a rousing patriotic anthem at a time of trouble. And it was a roaring hit. I bet it was. If it was a popular song at the time... Absolute banger. It would be like doing uh, the God Save the Queen to the tune of Despacito or something, wouldn't it, at the Commonwealth Games? It was like when everyone was doing lip dubs of Call Me Maybe. Yeah, exactly. All around the world. <laughs> and in a year, Call Me Maybe was the official national anthem. Yeah. So it was such a popular smash that other theatres copied it. And then within a year, it was custom to sing it wherever the royals appeared. Mm. And at some point, it became the world's first official national anthem. Oh, I other see. places had so had other people anthems, kind of like opening their own branches of McDonald's. Other people thought, well, we'll just copy the template. We'll have the same song and we'll have a national yeah. anthem, but with different lyrics. Yeah. So you could say that because Britain had this outsized influence around the world yeah. and also because a lot of royal families were linked around Europe, this song made its way internationally but also it was in hymn books internationally so a lot of places just put their own lyrics on it because they're like wow this tune da, 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 da. we could uh, remix that locally <laughs> so it's all over the fucking place and my country tis of thee is an 1831 riff on the theme when a 24 year old theology student called samuel f smith was either translating some german hymn books as part of his theology studenting or he was studying in Germany and noticed that German students every day sang a hymn and hoped that American students would do the same, so took this tune and added the lyrics. Hmm. And actually, My Country Tis of Thee was the national anthem of the US until the Star Spangled Banner was adopted uh, in 1931. Ah, the Star Spangled Banner is such a better song, isn't it? It's also a British song, though. Oh, really? Originally. Don't tell me Ed Sheeran wrote that one as well. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you've heard, but the former Prime Minister, Tony Blair, has written a book. It's about Gordon's temper being pals with George Bush and the untimely death of Robbie. 
been cooked. I'll go to answermethispodcast.com slash audible and download it for free and listen to him reading it while I lie in bed pretending to be Cherie. Yuck. Our Audible promotion is still running, but only until June the 30th. This particular offer where you get to have two free audiobooks, not just one, Two, two is only running till June the 30th, so go get it now. Yes, or in the days between now and June 30th. Yeah, I mean, when I say now. Because some people like me put things off till the last minute. Yeah, sure. We're just saying that last minute is June the 30th. Yeah, if, you, if you're that person, diarise now. Send yourself a calendar alert or whatever for June the 30th. 29th of June, Yeah, just oh. in case there's, it's time zone sensitive and you, sure. you go in after the appropriate time on June the 30th. So let's just say this ends on June the 29th. Get it done by June the 29th. And then it's like when you get your tax return done early, you can be smug on the deadline day. Just like that. You feel so free. It's more fun than a tax return. It is more fun So basically the deal is (laughs) uh, Audible have an excellent service offering uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, audiobooks. Um, And if you're a a subscriber, remember, then you, you get one a month for your monthly subscription. But you can take a free trial and get a free audiobook, which is yours to keep. And a second free audiobook, which is yours to keep. You could get the sequel to the first one. (laughs) And it's dead easy to sign up for. You just use your Amazon account. And by doing that, just by doing that, Audible send us money to say thank you for referring you to them. For every one of you. It doesn't matter if you never pay anything and you cancel and keep your two free audiobooks. Yes, those don't evaporate on June the 30th. Those No, you get to keep them forever. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can listen through the Audible app and stuff as well. So you can listen on your phone. You don't have to sit in front of your desktop computer like a trader in the 80s. <laughs> Do go and check it out. There are some uh, Audible originals on there now as well. Oh, yes. Which is kind of like the kind of audio version of, you know, Netflix stuff. So, th- th- for example, there's um, a comedy panel show with Ian Lee uh, based around questions. That's an original idea. There's uh, John Ronson's The Butterfly Effect about um, the porn industry, or as John calls it, porn women. <laughs> porn, people. porn people. I met a lot of porn people. Um, also, there's uh, Bill Bailey and Richard E. Grant doing The Jungle Book. I'm intrigued Whoa. by that. that I don't know fun. who's Baloo, but I imagine Bill Bailey. Richard E. Grant will play like the more serpentine characters, won't he? I don't know. I don't know if it's just the two of them or whether it's like a full cast of 50 people and they're the two famous ones so they get the cover art. Don't know. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> go on audible and get it for free yeah, that's right all you need to do is go to answermethispodcast.com slash audible here's a question from someone who calls themselves a concerned atheist okay and he says uh, i'm in my early 50s and divorced a couple of times over the last year i've met a very nice lady uh, once at a friend's birthday party and once at a dance Aww. and we got on quite well I'm already feeling a stirring of the loins, aren't you, Helen? I like a little Mm. bit of matchmaking. Well, he says, last Sunday I met her at church where she was handing out hymn books. At the post-service coffee and bickies, we got on like a house on fire, and I think there's definitely an attraction there. Now, was there, sir, or was that the bickies talking? (laughs) Uh, we all get a bit giddy around bickies and we're not in control (laughs) one too many post-church bickies and uh suddenly everyone's a raconteur well it depends on the bickies like if it's if it's good bickies like a a chocolate biscuit then um yes but if it's a dry biscuit like a rich tea biscuit those are supposed to dampen the ardor like monk's bane 
<laughs> so something sexy is happening around the coffee and the bickies. Sure. What's the trouble? A little bit of asking around revealed that she's divorced, so I think I'm in with a chance. Ooh. We're all rooting for you, concerned atheist. Mm. Ask her out. Ask her out. <laughs> Don't wait for another chance interaction. Right on a bicky. Would you like to dip this in coffee with me sometime on a date? Yeah. But, Helen, answer me this. When do I tell her I'm an atheist? I only went mm-hmm. to church because I was bored and felt like singing some hymns. <laughs> that's that's the reason why probably quite a lot of people go. I think that's the reason why a lot of self-professed Christians go, exactly. Yeah, because people want the community. Maybe this lady only went because she likes bickies. And also, I mean, you say that you're an atheist, but uh, if you felt comfortable enough to go to church because you were bored and felt like singing some hymns, I'm guessing, I could be wrong, but I'm presuming you are a lapsed Christian or someone who's brought up the Christian background now decided to be atheist. To be honest, for most yeah. Church of England churches, that's enough. But they're going to be happy yeah. with that. If you're in the room, you count. Exactly, yeah. Let's not get too deep into the details. Well, to be honest, like, even if you're of another religion, you count, don't you, in Anglicanism? Like, even if you're just, like, you know, a bit Jesus curious, that's fine. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, he continues. Uh, The vicar is my mate, um, and we talk a lot about philosophy and religion, so he knows my position. Interesting. But this nice lady must now assume that I'm a Christian, because why else would someone put on a jacket and tie, go to church and sing hymns on a Sunday morning. For the free bickies! (laughs) And to meet women! (laughs) A concerned atheist continues, I like Christians, and I don't have any problem with them, but should I subtly mention that I'm a non-believer before I ask her out for a date, or should I wait until we're actually dating? She is awfully pretty. Ask her out! Ask her out! It's a sweet email, isn't it? I think it's this is very sweet. And I don't think it's too much of a problem because she was just there handing out hymn books. I've done that. Mm. And I'm an atheist uh, because I like having a little chore to do. And you turned up to church just for the sake of being there. So it shows that you're not viciously opposed to religion. Dawkins probably doesn't go to church to have a nice sing song and some free <laughs> exactly. biscuits does he you've shown you're at least christian tolerant haven't you i mean also the, the fact as well that you are friends with the vicar i mean drop yes. that in like if she is a big church goer it's like if you're good enough for the big guy yeah then you're good enough for her aren't you lots of points lots of points for being friends with the vicar and you're assuming that she's super religious maybe for her it's a communal thing as well or maybe her religion is compatible with someone who's not religious yes. but i think since you've shown that you are open-minded towards her church it's a decent enough start right you don't have to compromise anything you know in terms of whether you believe in god and that jesus was the son of god there are christians who have doubts about that you know and still embrace the philosophy of it so i still think you can bring that up as part of a general kind of conversation without you know he's talking as if he has to kind of come out you know it's not like that is it it's something that can come up when you're ready to talk about it also you're acting like it can never work out if she is Christian and you are an atheist, totally can. You don't know her beliefs just as she doesn't know yours. So ask her out and um, eventually it will come up because if she is very into the Christianity, she might be like, well, it's 6am, we've got to go for early mass or whatever, I don't know. And you might be like, well, actually, I'm not a staunch believer, but I do enjoy the philosophy and community of it but i don't need to go yeah you know it'll come up somehow 
The vicar is my friend. He's got his strong beliefs. <laughs> Just bring it up like that. And also, people are very flattered when someone thinks they're awfully pretty. So I think that will get you a long way. Let us know how it goes. I feel very emotionally invested in you, concerned Yes, atheist. me too. I do. Yes, I, exactly. I know often uh, listeners don't give us enough detail. Sometimes they give us too much. You've given us just enough. Tantalising amount. To tantalise us and yet inform us. And at the same time, there's lots of unanswered questions. You sound like a kind and open-minded person. Exactly, yeah. Give us the next instalment of your private life. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But we need your questions to make more episodes of the show. You can send us an email. You can Skype or phone us. You can send us a voice memo via email. That is the safest way to get your voice into the show. I don't care how it gets here. Just get here if you can. All of our contact details are listed on our website. AnswerMeThisPodcast.com One thing you could do while there as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter and checking out our classic episodes and albums like the Jubilee album, is vote for us in the Listener Choice category at the British Podcast Awards, which are happening this month. Yes, it's dead easy, actually. I mean, if we genuinely are your favourite show... Or, you know, top five, you could probably submit multiple entries. (laughs) If If you feel moved enough to think it might be nice for us to win an award... All you do, you go to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. All you do is enter the words, answer me this, and it knows who we are. That's it. Uh, but other things you can do to support us uh, is listening to our other work. Yeah, uh, my podcast, The Modern Man, is at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Um, recent episodes of that, I have met a professional declutterer and also a man who makes artificial limbs for babies using a 3D printer. Wow. Yeah, what did you do with your day today? <laughs> the Illusionist is uh, ongoing at theillusionist.org. There's a very good episode recently about Welsh Patagonia because they speak Welsh in Argentina. Uh, but also, I'm doing a bunch of live shows this month and next month in Australia and the US. Some of them are with Radiotopia and The Bugle, some of them in The Illusionist Live, but all the events are at theillusionist.org slash events. Come along. And Martin, what are you up to? Well, he went on a bike that goes in the sea the other day. That was exciting. But can you listen to a sound recording of that? You can't, but you can listen to a song-by-song podcast in which we uh, talk about every Tom Waits song in chronological order. At the moment, we have uh, guest Jeremy Wormsley, a British musician. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. Tune in at songbysongpodcast.com. And there will be a retro episode on our podcast feed halfway through the month, a trip through the Answer Me This archives. Otherwise, we'll be back with a brand new Answer Me This on the first Thursday of June. We hope you rejoin us then. Bye! Bye. Heaven and all the answer